Last weekend, we held debatable intervarsity. This is the post-debate analysis for the social legal round that was released first during the tournament. We are releasing this on our other platforms for the benefit of those who were unable to participate in the event. Because debate is for everyone, no one should miss out on the ability to learn about debate even outside of competitions. For this one, it is said that due process is nothing more and nothing less than the concept of fair play. In most jurisdictions, the right of a person to due process is protected with procedural rules. One of these rules is that a criminal case may only be filed by a prosecutor who finds probable cause that the accused actually committed the crime charged. Supposedly, the probable cause standard makes it so that prosecutors don't file baseless or frivolous cases. However, whether that actually happens is debatable. That's why the motion reads, This House believes that prosecutors should use the standard of proof beyond reasonable doubt instead of probable cause when deciding whether to file a criminal case against a suspect. We would like to thank our immortal Dota 2 ranking friend Jesus Falses for contributing this motion to our tournament. Welcome back to another episode of Debatable with your hosts, Nina and Kyle. I'm Nina. I'm Kyle. And today we're joined by our motion contributor for Debatable Ivy in the social legal themed round. We have Jesus Falses, the coach of the Philippines World Schools team, also Asian champion from 2013. They are also a really good, quote-unquote, amateur Dota player, but they're Divine 5, which is literally the highest that you could go before being at the 1%. So, welcome to our show, Jesus. How are you? Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'm glad to be here. And uh, correction, uh, I'm already immortal, so I'm part of the top 1%. I'm ranked 4,000. Oh my gosh. <laughs> in, Southeast, in Southeast Asia only. Yeah, so Jesus, besides playing Dota, has found the time to create the motion for us. So the motion is about prosecutors using the standard of proof beyond reasonable doubt instead of probable cause when deciding to file a criminal case against a suspect. Now, our first question refers to a sort of misconception where the idea that most people have is that it's the victim who files a criminal case against someone. Yet in the motion, it says that the prosecutor files a criminal case. So... Could you tell us more about the current process by which we institute or file criminal cases to begin with? All right. So in most countries in the world with just slight variations, so there should be or there is a filter before a criminal charge goes to trial. And when we say trial, most most people would know from pop pop culture that it's the court case where there's a judge uh, and there are witnesses, uh, there's the defendant or the accused, and then there's the victim or the complainant. And of course, the lawyers for each side, the lawyer for the complainant, which can be a private prosecutor, meaning someone who's not hired by the state but paid by the victim uh, from their own pockets, and the public prosecutor. So that one is paid by taxpayers. Money. And then the lawyer for the defendant, which is the defense counsel. So most people would know that um, that is the idea of a trial. So a prosecutor is the one that filters whether a case or a charge can be brought before the court when we're talking about criminal cases. So if there's a crime and there's a victim, the victim has to file 
a complaint before the prosecutor and it's the prosecutor who evaluates whether or not to bring the case to the court, meaning whether there is sufficient likelihood, which we call probable cause, that there was a crime committed and that the crime was committed by this or that person. Usually the prime suspect or the one that the victim complained about in her complaint. So what the victim or the person who is uh, aggrieved, the person whose rights were violated, if the if there was an actual crime, right, what the victim files is not a criminal case before the court, but a complaint affidavit. So they file a complaint or a complaint affidavit. An affidavit is like a recording or a listing or retelling of events based on your personal experience that you swear to be true. And so when you couple that with complaint, complaint affidavit, it's a there's a hyphen in between. You're filing uh, an affidavit that tells a story or recollects a story where you feel that a crime was committed upon you or upon someone which you are the one who can file a complaint for. Maybe there's a dead person and you're the family, right? So you're the, the family is the one that files a complaint affidavit. If there's a rape victim, the rape victim is the one that files the complaint affidavit. And that's what they file. It is up to the prosecutor to evaluate whether there is basis in the complaint affidavit for a full-blown trial. The prosecutor may dismiss the complaint and say there's no basis it's a frivolous case it's a baseless charge or there's no sufficient evidence even if there's a dead body and there are knife stabs in the body in the autopsy report clearly someone was murdered but the complaint has to be dismissed because there's no sufficient evidence that this X or Y person was the one who committed it or there's no suspect so even if the family brought a complaint affidavit who, who will the prosecutor bring to court. So there's no one. So complaint affidavits can be dismissed. So that's the general procedure uh, legally versus what laymans generally know. Why is it the prosecutor who has the power to say whether to bring it to court and not the victim? So why is it the prosecutor who has the ability to evaluate? One, the state has the duty to prosecute criminal cases because they are the ones tasked by the sovereign will, social contract theory, things like that, to protect people from crime. People pay taxes, the state is given the legitimate monopoly on violence, the police, the soldiers, uh, to protect people's rights. So given that, when there's a crime, the state and society, which empower the state, does not want individuals to bring justice into their own hands. So we created this concept called the judiciary, court trials, and prosecutors where if anyone feels that their rights are violated by a criminal or a suspect, they cannot be the one to uh, directly uh, bring the person to justice, either outside the court, extrajudicial killing or extrajudicial punishment, or even like a judicial punishment. Uh, It has to go to the state which created this institution. So the institution, one of that is the prosecutor. Second, if there are too many court cases and only so many judges, the courts become clogged. Their docket, a docket is the number of cases before a court, before each judge. And if the docket is too much, right, there's only so much time and mental resources a judge can give to each case. So if there are so many cases, they have to uh, give time to and attention. They cannot properly give time and attention to each case. Justice will be given so long, right? I mean, cases drag for 10 years or 15 years because uh, judges or justices have too much cases on their hands. So one function of the prosecutors is to filter the cases that go to the court. The purpose is to filter frivolous 
cases or the cases which uh, just are, are like suspicions or accusations by mouth without much more evidence to back it up because it's easy to lie, easy to abuse. So there needs to be a filter. So that's the uh, second purpose. The third purpose, if ever, uh, why it's the prosecutor and, and not the victim is the victim will uh, definitely be biased feeling that they have a case, right? So there needs to be an independent evaluator to decide if indeed there is enough basis to go to court. It cannot be the victims to directly file because that will clog the courts, not just with legitimate cases, but also the frivolous ones, right? Because all victims will feel that they have to file a case, they were aggrieved, this is the, this is our suspect, and maybe sometimes their suspicions are right, but sometimes their suspicions are also wrong. They filter it using the standard of probable cause, but the motion asks teams to consider whether we should abandon that standard in favor of the beyond reasonable doubt standard. What's the difference between tr- probable cause and beyond reasonable doubt? Could you give us examples of how these two would be used at this particular stage? So probable cause from the word probable talks about probability, right? So for debaters who know statistics, it's about the likelihood. And you have to contrast probable cause with the idea of possibility, right? Possibility is that, yeah, all right, it's possible that he or she did it, possible that he or she also did not, right? But what's the likelihood? So probable cause is more than possibility. On the other hand, proof beyond reasonable doubt is not absolute certainty, but is more than probability. It's more than probability because, let's say, there are three probabilities, there are three likelihoods with sufficient evidence that A, B, or C uh, uh, committed it. But when B was brought to court, that there is no doubt anymore, reasonable doubt. We're talking about reasonable doubt, not absolute certainty, not omnipotent, omniscient uh, certainty, that there is no reasonable doubt that he or she or they is the probable criminal who committed the crime, right? So that's the difference. Probable cause, you're just talking about the probability. Probability for two levels. That a crime was committed and that X or Y person who is being accused is the one who did it. Proof beyond reasonable doubt is that there is no reasonable doubt anymore in the mind of the judge or the jury that this person was the one who did the crime. So that's theory. So let's give like more grounded examples. In probable cause, generally, you don't take into account defenses. Defenses meaning if you have an alibi. Oh, a crime was committed here in this city, in this address in the Philippines. But the person was in uh, uh, in Sabah, Malaysia, which is a boat ride away or uh, hours away from the place where the body was found. That kind of defense is not usually taken into account when deciding probable cause. So probable cause, we already said, if there's a body, that's, that there's a corpse. So definitely there was a crime. There was murder or there was homicide. But then this X or Y person was charged. Is he probably the one who committed it? And the victim presented some evidence to show the likelihood. Now the defense, even at the prosecutor level, would say, oh, but uh, we were at this place. The prosecutor would just think, oh, given the evidence of the victim, it's still probable, despite him being in uh, Sabah, Malaysia, which is just a few hours away, to have done the crime and gone to Sabah by boat, things like that. It, it doesn't fully take into account the alibis or the other defenses, right? The other thing is, for example, uh, rape victims, and the rape victim says he, she was, uh, he or she was sexually assaulted, and the defense says they were sweethearts. They were just having consensual sex. Now, the probable cause there would still be met because the prosecutor would think that there's this victim or person claiming that she was raped or sexually assaulted. Why would she bring this up if it was truly consensual? The defense is better appreciated at trial. So the probability uh, is met because the testimony of the person complaining by the logic of the prosecutor and based on 
our current like uh, activist philosophy based on also academic philosophy right that it's most likely that the complaining person was sexually assaulted because he or she would not have done so given the stigma given the embarrassment etc etc the sweetheart defense would not be appreciated at the prosecutor level because it's not about reasonable doubt the prosecutor is not thinking about is there doubt in my mind that uh, rape was committed he or she the prosecutor is just thinking is it probable is it likely that there was rape and this was the person who raped this and that person so um, that's one of the like grounded differences like how you appreciate defenses and how you take that into account when thinking if there's doubt in your mind reasonable doubt that the crime uh, happened and that this person was the one who committed it my understanding of it though is that in a criminal case the burden of proof of the prosecution to get a guilty verdict is also proof beyond reasonable doubt does that mean therefore that government in this debate has to defend that if a prosecutor files a case it's basically over for the accused because it's already reached the standard so there's still no certainty right because the, the judge can still appreciate it differently but the signal the message is that right like if a prosecutor in government side their counterfactual would be if they file a case that means the prosecutor must believe that they will get a guilty verdict and that if the judge acquits there's a discordance there so what would be the public perception uh, or would judges be pressured to uh, convict because well prosecutors wouldn't file a case if the uh, blah 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 right so they are pressured both by pu- public opinion and by the prosecutor's reputation if the prosecutor has a good reputation of winning cases that he or she would not file a case in court if the person was not guilty because they're using the same standard as I use and I'm talking like a judge so if the judge that's that's how the judge would think so it's not that they will get a guilty verdict a hundred percent in government side right but that's the pressure that's the that's the signal to the public that they should get a guilty verdict but they can still get an acquittal in government side so that's something for government to take into account when arguing and also for opposition to exploit what happens when the case is filed but the judge acquits why would that arise and what are the harms or benefits of that so let's move beyond technicalities now beyond that let's talk about context now what is the framing that you would expect from all teams here so gov and op especially in the opening half so I think both sides would probably want justice and fairness so those who are not lawyers would have a good would still have a good handle of what justice and fairness means right? justice is giving a person what is due to them if they should be punished they should be punished if there's basis if they should be rewarded they should be rewarded right so given that it's a legal motion the idea of justice is something that both sides would want but what is the notion of justice and how would it play out is I think both sides would contest so in government side their initial context and problematization should be how prosecutors are more willing to file frivolous cases because of uh, public pressure from the victims when there's a crime then there's a backlash from the community and pressure that someone should pay for this crime right so there's pressure on uh, prosecutors to file cases because they quote-unquote represent the will of the people and the people on the ground especially for some countries right the prosecutors are on the ground it's easy to pressure them by their neighbors by their immediate community by the mayor by where they are that well a crime happened you have to file a case against someone anyone because sometimes there might be a crime that uh, has no immediate or readily like suspect uh, I'm going to use like a, a, a new word like a suspiciable like someone you can suspect right away there's no person like that in that world theoretically the prosecutor should not file any case against anyone but because they are pressured by the police by the mayor and the police themselves are also pressured by the public to bring someone to justice they might just get anyone even with a tiny 
tiniest of evidence like motive, circumstantial evidence, which is a bit more technical, but uh, you can also use in, in both. But the point is, there is a lot of pressure for prosecutors and the police to file a case if there's a crime, especially if it's like murder, uh, serial murders, etc., etc. And so they are more likely to file it even if the probable cause standard is not actually met, right? Um, and they do this because the rewards are greater for them than the cost. Like if they file a case and the judge acquits, they can say, well, the standard that the judge uses is different from my standard. That's why there's an acquittal. It's not my fault that the defense was able to prove or give more evidence or that there was some evidence that was still missing to create proof beyond reasonable doubt. Mine is just probable cause. So the reputational cost is not that much, but the rewards are great. Oh, my hands are uh, my hands are clean. Uh, I already filed the case, right? So I'm pursuing justice and say that they look good to the public. Let's prosecute, blah, blah, blah. When, when it actually loses, again, given the reasons I stated, they can shrug it off and give excuses. So the point for government side is to problematize how prosecutors don't actually fulfill their purpose of filtering cases brought to court. I already mentioned in our previous questions, what are the benefits of filtering cases to court? Did they clog? And this one I wasn't able to discuss much, but the cost to innocent people, if the person was actually innocent, but a case was filed on the basis of probable cause, they incur costs. They have to hire a lawyer, their peace of mind, uh, they have to spend time going to the court cases for the hearings. What if they have a job? What if they're middle class? What if they're poor, right? Suffer tremendous costs for a false charge. So the importance of filtering false charges is more important actually than declogging court cases, but that's also very important, giving time and attention and swift justice to each case. So that's for uh, opening government. For opening opposition, and of course, the closing teams would still generally follow this problem, right? So they have to be aware of this and, and tweak it to their advantage. But for opening opposition, then they have to defend why there are two different standards and two different institutions, the judge versus the prosecutor and different standards for them. So they have to defend that. And the defense there is the, the nature of the legal system for countries with prosecutors and judges is that it's adversarial. Most people don't know that there's a different legal system from an adversarial system. An adversarial system is one where there's a prosecutor in a defense. Two sides, adversarial. So in a court, there are two sides who will battle it out head to head to fight for what is the legal truth. Like what will be the decision? What's the evidence presented? Etc. Because for lawyers, we know legal truth is different from actual truth because there might be evidence outside the court that wasn't admitted or that was burned or buried or some witness doesn't testify. So the actual truth is different from the legal truth, right? So but the point is in an adversarial system, there are two sides who battle it out for the legal truth and the third party, the judge, evaluates who is proving better, who is saying something that is more true. Most people only know that because that is the most uh, common, if not universal system in the world now. But before adversarial system, there was what is called an inquisitorial system, which is there is no prosecutor or defense, but it's just the state with a prosecutor hyphen judge who asks the victim, asks the defense or the suspect and can ask anyone and probe for more evidence uh, beyond what is before him to decide on a truth. So inquisitorial, they inquire, not necessarily like a witch hunt, right? But it can become and has, be has become a witch hunt in history sometimes, but they can inquire on their own. Right now, in the adversarial system, the judges cannot inquire on their own except what is presented to them by the two sides. In the inquisitorial system, the judge, prosecutor, hyphen police, whoever that person is assigned to uh, decide the case, can inquire beyond and get more evidence when needed. So this is something that prosecutors can also do uh, 
right now, but they are limited to the fact that the defense side usually is not what they inquire for because they represent the state to prosecute, not to defend, right? They can look for the defense side and they will actually ask for the defense. So what's your side? The counter affidavit. But usually that's it. Beyond that, beyond the affidavit, beyond the story, they don't have like summons or processes to get more than that, usually. So the point here for opposition is that the reason why there are two standards is because one, the uh, society has decided that an adversarial system is better than an inquisitorial system. And with an adversarial system, there needs to be two different standards because the incentives, the structural factors or incentives for a prosecutor to bring a case is different from the structural incentives of a judge in deciding a case. So opposition also has to talk about judges having security of tenure, can be counter-majoritarian, right? But also susceptible to public pressure, but less so structurally while the prosecutor, etc. like that. So um, the standard for bringing a case is uh, lower for prosecutors because they do in fact represent the public and making it higher would probably, so this is the counter problem now, would make it difficult or more difficult for vulnerable people for criminal cases where it's hard to present proof beyond reasonable doubt right away without the powers of the court trial to filter someone uh, and issue processes that can bring out more evidence fairly, right? That it would be unfair for the vulnerable people, the public that the prosecutor present, represents to meet a higher standard right away. So again, the prosecutor does not represent the defense, the accused. They represent the state in prosecuting crimes. But they do also, again, the balance here is that they represent the values of presumption of innocence. So they will get the side of the defense with the counter affidavit, but that's it, generally. And it's more about whether the crime was committed and somebody, somebody should be made accountable for it. Somebody should pay for it if there was a crime committed. That's the mindset of the state. The judges, the, the judiciary is part of the state, yes. But conceptually, even government should concede, right? And opposition should frame that the judiciary is an independent arm of the state, usually shielding people against the state, right? So that's why the two standards are different because their incentives are different, their functions are different in relation with the adversarial system that most societies feel is better and have set up than the inquisitorial system. So you already mentioned some clash points that exist in the debate, such as accountability, justice in a practical sense and a principle sense, as well as the diversity in dealing with different cases. But if you were to be an opening, which clash points would you focus on and which do you think are the most strategic to prioritize? So for me, I follow the idea of necessity, legitimacy, and other than that, maybe effectiveness, sustainability, or perverse incentives. So as OG, I tried uh, as opening, even on opening up, I look at whether there's a problem, there's a necessity. If it's not necessary, then I prove it also in op that there's no problem or that the solution is not necessary to solve the problem. So as I painted a while ago, is there a problem in status quo? And as we said, prosecutors are filing more frivolous cases and there's little cost to them. There's little, and there's more rewards in filing a case just to appease the victim, appease the community, appease the police, the police also being pressured instead. That, that's one. Necessity. Legitimacy one, you can also go at the theoretical level. If the prosecutor has to prove to get a guilty verdict, to prove beyond reasonable doubt, why not meet it right away for the prosecutors? So that's on a principled level like um, what is their job anyway and why don't they do it right away? And then you can also use opposition's values later about presumption of innocence and things like that by saying that if the standard is higher right away before filing case, you protect more innocent people. Or you ensure that the state is more diligent in ensuring that only the guilty get the cost of being tried. That's both a 
principle, the pragmatic aspect, the pragmatic aspect there is removing the cost of being charged and being suspected and going to trial for the vulnerable, for the middle class, and like that. But it's also principle because the value of the state, even in opposition, is to presume people are innocent, value innocence more than guilt. The idea that it's more important to free one innocent man than to convict a hundred uh, guilty men. And the ones who are listening to this um, talk should research why that's a principle. It's a very uh, not intuitive for laymen and for populist principle, right? The idea that it's better to release one innocent uh, man, make sure an innocent man is not convicted rather than in exchange for convicting the innocent man, you convict a hundred guilty men. So we're okay with releasing a hundred guilty men as long as we ensure that one innocent man is not convicted. So a lot of um, protections in the legal system are ensuring are to ensure innocent people are not right, are not charged, are not convicted, are not imprisoned. That is a cost we are not willing to pay. Those who are listening to this talk have to research why that is a principle that talks about the asymmetry of power of the state, immense power of the state to collect evidence, to abuse its power, human incentives, human nature in terms of uh, accusations in relation with innocence uh, or guilt, things like that. So that's for opening government. That seems like only a few, right? But there are many layers to that. So um, I think OG will have uh, enough material to discuss that. If they can definitely discuss that, they can try to eat things that Losing will talk about, like removing perverse incentives or uh, things like that. But I don't advise that. I think there should be a balance between quantity and quality. So that's for OG. So for opening opposition, the, the first few things or the basic things they should run also is that um, is there a necessity for that? They can actually say that status quo is working, right? It is government side that is framing that more frivolous cases are being filed, more cases are being acquitted in court. But if opposition has knowledge and matter and logic to prove otherwise, they should. And they could, right? So people have to research how status quo, the right cases are being filed by prosecutors. The public pressure that they get from police or from the community is not enough to file the wrong cases. Maybe they can talk about, as I, uh, I was diminishing this a while ago, but they can build it up in opposition. The legal reputation of a prosecutor for promotion, the internal ego and reputation of the lawyer, of the prosecutor as a lawyer, that he or she is filing losing cases, are structural incentives or incentives to uh, balance it out. So either you can utilize prop or government or say these are actually stronger to remove those public pressures. Why? Is it about legacy? Things like that. So I'm just saying opposition can still counter it. But the more important thing for opposition is to prove that there is a necessity to keep the two standards different. And this is what I talked about a while ago, the nature of the system as adversarial versus inquisitorial, balancing the different roles and duties of the judge versus the prosecutor because they have different incentives and they have different uh, structural factors. Again, the judge is more independent than the prosecutor uh, and the prosecutor has a different uh, role or duty representing the public, things like that. Uh, judges security tenure, things like that. So um, it might be the perfect balance. The current standards now and the differentiation is a perfect balance of due process in allowing people to file cases if they feel aggrieved. Why? not making it impossible for them to file it eventually in court because the standard is too high. And then I think the, the, the pressing necessity here for opposition as well is to zoom in on a minority of cases that have significant impact. It might not be a minority of cases if, if opposition can prove that it's uh, where the debate happens, but those who are the most vulnerable like the minority who are less believed by the, by the majority with the prosecutors, by the police when they file cases or sexual assault cases which we all know still have stigma 
Lima despite recent trends. Uh, the diff, uh, increasing the standard to prove beyond reasonable doubt would make it impossible or would probably make it impossible now for them to get justice. Either they will be deterred from filing a complaint to begin with or even if they file a complaint and it get dismissed, they don't even get a chance to prove their case in court where you can get more witnesses to testify. You can even get a jury, not, the, not just the judge, your peers to judge what you have to say. And even at the worst case for opposition, they can actually say some of the costs of trials are necessary even if you don't win. Meaning, putting an accused, like a suspected rapist, to trial even if you don't get a conviction is enough justice for our warranted costs for the suspect in relation with the problem of sexual assault, the problem of minorities not being believed, things like that. Even if minorities don't win the case in court eventually, even if the rape victims don't win the course, the, the case in court eventually because of proof beyond reasonable doubt, just being able to convince the prosecutor gives them enough justice and that the costs are justified. So you have to give logic why the costs are justified in relation to the potential uh, costs to actually innocent suspects being brought forth uh, in opposition side. So in opposition side, you have to concede maybe there are slightly more innocent people brought to court. Why is that cost justified in relation with the costs to the actually guilty people but will be acquitted because of the high standard and because of the difficulty of the cases. We have to discuss the difficulty of proving the case of sexual assault or rape or proving the uh, case of minorities when the justice system and the human beings are stacked against you if there's a racial problem with like that. So I, I think that would be the one of the winning issues for all, right? Uh, in all the winning, in proposition in government, the winning issue is to focus on how people don't trust the justice system or lose confidence in the justice system when they file cases and lose. So it's not just the prosecutors who suffer costs, right? But the rape victims, the minorities who file cases and feel that they have an enough case, but because the standard is probable cause only in the prosecutor, they are fooled into thinking that when the case is filed, they can win. Rather than to begin with, they should have been told by the prosecutor, our evidence is not enough. While I'm on their side, your evidence is not enough. It will be dismissed in court. It's not enough to prove beyond reasonable doubt, things like that. What would be the better situation for minorities and for uh, vulnerable groups and even for the public at large in terms of knowing what their chances are of winning the case and getting justice? So the costs for these victims of going to court and being lulled into thinking that they should win, they should get the conviction when in fact they will not, most likely uh, because there's not enough evidence to meet proof beyond reasonable doubt. But in opposition, we have to focus on what are the benefits and justification for being able to file a case even if you don't win, uh, compared to the slight harm that you get if some innocent people are charged. And anyway, in opposition, you, ha you have to say, right, you have to prove that even if some innocent people will be charged, that they will be acquitted by the system if they're innocent, right? So because the opposition was saying even some truly guilty people will get acquitted, right? With proof beyond reasonable doubt in court, the logic should be oh, if that's the case, that even actually guilty people get acquitted, then if you're innocent, it's easier to get that acquittal. That has to be the mitigation for opposition in terms of like more innocent people being charged. And of course, the justification why the cost of getting charged or going to trial is, uh, is justified, is absorbable by people in a democracy, how, how we have decided to come to this kind of system, even if you're poor, even if you're middle class, why should people be okay with the slight cost of being subjected to a trial? For what greater cost? C-A-U-S-E, not C-O-S-T. So that's for uh, opposition. Legitimacy-wise, uh, it's also in relation with the uh, nature of the system we discussed, so that could be the principal argumentation. Um, the other, even if this sounds more like a closing, I think opening opposition can still take this, that in proposition, in government side, uh, what we discussed a while ago, what happens if there's a discordance 
between the filing and the ruling, which is okay. The prosecutor now uses proof beyond reasonable doubt. They file the case, but it's still an acquittal. What is the impact of that to the justice system, to the public, to the minorities, to the vulnerable group when it comes to filing a case? What about even about uh, criminal minds who, who are criminally minded? Will it deter them, embolden them, things like that? So I think those impacts uh, and harms would be done or should be done in BLO. But if you don't want to do that, that's fine because I think uh, focusing on the rape victims and, and minorities would be enough material to win you the debate as long as you uh, debate it properly. But if you want to eat something from closing, you you can do that and discuss uh, the impact of the discordance. So that was a very comprehensive view of how opening teams could possibly run their cases. What other angles can teams take, especially in closing? Um, you advise uh, against having opening teams try to take more arguments that they can handle. One of those arguments was perverse incentives and whatnot. Could you tell us about those different angles as well? Yeah, for government side, they have to look at the perverse incentives of both the prosecutor and the defense counsels in a world where the standards are different, right? So attack opposition and say, but for the prosecutor one, I think it's it's generally already dealt by the OG. But for the defense counsel, generally in status quo, they do file a counter affidavits, but most lawyers just, most defense lawyers just advise their clients to remain silent. Not even file a counter affidavit. Because in status quo, people who are accused don't have to do anything to prove their innocence. That's under the principle of presumption of innocence. It's up to the state, the burden of the state to prove the guilt. So at the prosecutor level, generally, they can participate but they don't have to. The defense does not have to. They might file a counter affidavit sometimes, but they don't have to. So what does this mean, right? And aside from the counter-affidavit, they don't have to bring out their other evidence or defenses. So what does this do? What this does is um, allow the defense to keep their cards until the trial and they present the evidence and they win because we have the evidence to prove reasonable doubt. Alibi, uh, forensic evidence, put some doubts that this is not the motive, things like that. If they presented it early, then the victim would not have been misled into filing the case and pouring his emotions, time, money into going to trial also for the prosecutor and the state, the resources of the state, right? Um, but the status quo allows that because the defense knows that they don't have to do anything right away. Um, what happens in proposition is that if the standards are most likely, this, if the standards are the same for prosecutor and judge, then there's more incentive for the defense lawyer to advise his counsel, let's bring out all our evidence and avoid the trial because the standards are the same. Let's just get an early acquittal and avoid the cost. Time, effort, money, as I've said, right? Avoid the cost early on. But in status quo, why would defense lawyers be incentivized to do that? Well, one, perverse incentives of lawyers as well. Even if it's not a profit profession, it's more profitable to prolong the case. They can charge more if there's a hearing in the prosecutor, they file a simple counter and bring all their evidence and present it in court. You might say, well, that, that would also happen even if the standards are the same. No, because if the standards are the same, uh, defense lawyers have more face to lose to their clients and prospective clients if, well, we could have avoided this altogether uh, early on, the standards are the same, why didn't we do this earlier and avoid the cost? And your clients who are usually rich, murder people, corrupt people, they like to avoid the cost. In, in status quo, when the standards are different, there's not much cost in not responding in the prosecutorial level. But in the counterfactual, there is a cost because as we say, as we have discussed a while ago, the perception now of the public and even of the judge, if the prosecutor files a case, is that most likely there is proof beyond reasonable 
reasonable doubt. It's not most likely. He believed there's proof beyond reasonable doubt. So the judge should convict. And that perception alone is disastrous for the defense client, for the suspect, especially if you're rich or a corrupt person or uh, rapist uh, with the reputation, like a rich person, a powerful person. You want to avoid that and say, to begin with, no, there's no proof beyond reasonable doubt. So we don't want the file, we don't want it to be filed in court and get that perception. Right now, the per- there is negative perception when a court, when a case is brought before the court, but there's more doubt in the minds of the public, right? Oh, there's presumption of innocence. Ah, we still have to hear the side of the accused because in the current system for probable cause, it's not, uh, there's no incentive for the prosecutor to look for all evidence and make sure there's proof beyond reasonable doubt, including evidence from the accuser for the defense. So I think there's more perverse incentive for the defense and then you get the benefits. So the, the flip side for closing government is you get the benefits of an early response from the defense, from the cl- from the suspect and from the law lo- from their lawyers. What are the benefits, right? So it allows the state to save up resources of actually going to trial. It allows the victim to look for other suspects. Ah, this is not the right suspect because they already proved beyond reasonable doubt in the prosecutor that it's not them. It must be someone else. And I think that's a strong benefit, right? If you allow the victim to, re- to refocus because some the other problem if uh, debaters know this, right? If the victim focuses on the wrong suspect and they go to trial and the trial takes so long, five to ten years in developing countries, 15 years, usually when they realize, oh, we went after the wrong suspect. This includes the victim, the police, the prosecutor. There's not much enough evidence to go after the right suspect because the evidence either has died, the witnesses, the evidence has disappeared because of time, uh, because of uh, decay. You don't know, right? I mean, forensic evidence or paper evidence, uh, documentary evidence, they can disappear, they can burn, they can get lost. And if you focus on the wrong suspect, you did not get the justice that you deserve because at the prosecutor level, you were fooled into thinking, oh, we're going to trial. I have basis. But then later, they're acquitted uh, because of reasonable doubt versus in government side, oh, we're not filing a case. It's not them, right? So that's a big benefit for closing goal on the flip side. So we can discuss about harms and the benefits uh, stemming from perverse incentives and preventing and correcting the perverse incentive uh, for defense lawyers and for their clients. That's closing government. For closing opposition, uh, again, that's what I said. What if there's a difference in the ruling uh, and the harms to that? And then you can also discuss the perverse incentive now of prosecutors. If the standards are the same, how would they act, right? So a lot of prosecutorial abuse or misbehavior in status quo is about prosecutors suppressing evidence along with the police. Why do they do that? Because they want to appease the community, just get a suspect right away. Sometimes people are lazy. They don't search beyond it. Uh, Some people have cognitive biases. It's a black person. Most likely this black person did it. So there's a lot of prosecutorial abuse and police abuse in relation with prosecutors because police are the ones also collect evidence, the NBI, uh, FBI, things like that. That their biases or even intentional abuse, intentional actions is to get the evidence that confirms their bias. That that was the problem of OG, right? If that's the problem of OG, CO can question, why would that still not happen in Gov's world? And if that happens, and it's still likely to happen because humans are humans, racial problems will still exist, 
you're only changing the standard. There's all things being equal, right? It's not about changing the racial uh, awareness and consciousness. It's not about changing the sexist uh, system. All things being equal, then prosecutors who have those biases or wrongful actions, what they will do now if they are pressed to determine proof beyond reasonable doubt at their level, given OG's context, is still to gather evidence confirming that this is the suspect. The defense will present their evidence, yes, at the prosecutor level, but can the prosecutor say, I don't believe that and I think this is what's correct and I've gathered this evidence. So they can still ignore the defense counsel given their, their biases or uh, the populist pressure. That's the perverse incentive and the perverse result now is that even though prosecutors know that there's reasonable doubt but they ignore it, then the harms of what we were saying a while ago happens, which is the public is led to believe that then there should be a conviction. Uh, example for opposition as a whole, but closing opposition is the O.J. Simpson trial, which is that most people believe O.J. Simpson uh, should be guilty, but he was not, and there was outrage. And then in the Philippines, you have the Visconde massacre, and that was just probable cause, but people feel that the acquittals were wrong. What happens now when the standard is higher for the prosecutors, and when the media reports it, oh, there's proof be unreasonable doubt, even at the prosecutor level, and the person is acquitted. Now, this might be slightly contradictory if opening opposition run the idea of prosecutors have a legal reputation to protect and status quo. They still balance it out, meaning even if there's populist pressure, they will not bow to it because their legal reputation is more important, their legacy, their promotion, prospects, things like that. So, opposition has to be careful about that. Right? It can be framed as an even if, even if the structural incentives we see for prosecutors to not be wrong or abusive in status quo with probable cause is wrong, even if that's wrong, then it's still worse for government. Because if that's the government frame, prosecutors have bias, prosecutors succumb to populist pressures, then there's still, or there's more perverse incentive for them to file wrong cases or frivolous cases at the expense of justice system, trust, confidence, uh, state resources, things like that. So that's for closing opposition. If opening teams run what closing teams should run, right, then what closing teams should do is layer it better and impact it better and explicitly say that the opposition ran it superficially. I mean, because if they try to run all of those things, they risk the danger of the quality of their arguments not being there. So thank you so much for that really comprehensive discussion. The the last question we want to ask before we end this episode is, what tips do you have for handling social legal motions, especially when they can get somewhat technical and matter for it is not always accessible because people believe, or at least there's this misconception that you have to read journal articles on law or you have to read cases specifically to understand it. So what advice would you give people who have this kind of mindset? Uh, I think for those who have a problem with legal motions, just think of legal motions as a justice and fairness issue. And when you think of it as a justice and fairness issue, it should be intuitive for you because uh, when you're talking about justice and fairness, it's about what people deserve. So if you think about the idea of being fair from your parents, from your friends growing up, it's quite intuitive to think that you need to hear both sides or all sides that are relevant. You need to hear them out. So that's what's called due process. You don't even need to say due process, but you just need to say there has to be an opportunity for people to be heard. There has to be an opportunity for people to defend themselves, and it has to be based on reason. It has to be based on facts. So just think about justice and fairness and then all the other legal issues that are technical will come more naturally. You just have to listen to your opponents 
then you will be thinking about due process because it's about fairness of the process, the procedure of how you are tried, criminally or not, right? And then if you're talking about the basis, the reason for why you are being tried, then that fact or facts is what is called evidence. And it would be intuitive for you to think how do people present evidence, what evidence is presented for there to be enough basis for this legal issue or problem to arise. So that's how I would advise them just think about legal motions as a justice and fairness issue. This house would criminalize something. Then you think, is that fair to which side, to what side, to all sides? What's the basis? Is there evidence? What are the facts? Right. So, so thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and to talk to us about a really important legal motion because I think that never before has these issues been, at least in my lifetime, this important to talk about. Is there anything that you'd like to plug before we finally end this episode? Filipino participants, please register to vote for next year's elections and be informed. There is no single correct vote or decision uh, but there is a wrong vote if you are not informed so that's for our Filipino friends for our non-Filipino friends the world is a global village what happens in the Philippines affects you so we can involve ourselves in other countries political affairs influence the Filipino friends that you know to register and vote for next year's elections Do the same for your own country and uh, for your friends in other countries. So good luck to all participants uh, in debatable, intervarsity. Everything is debatable and some things are also not debatable. And that's debatable. (laughs) So thank you. That's it for this episode. Uh, We'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.